Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to uh, 1 Peter. And we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Let's read it together. <clears throat> Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live. Verse 2, when they observe your pure and reverent lives, your beauty should not consist of outwardly things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothing. Instead, it should consist of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. Verse 5, for in the past, the holy women who hoped in God also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do good and aren't frightened by anything alarming. Husbands, in the same way, verse 7, which is next week's text, but I just want to point something out. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So today we're going to be tackling a subject that some of you, when you heard that I was going through 1 Peter, was thinking, what are you going to do with chapter 3, 1 through 7? That's an interesting statement, particularly in our climate particularly because there's been a lot of abuse in this area. There's been a lot of false interpretations of this text in so many ways. And so our job today, what we do, we go back into the original hearers' minds, figure out their culture, why did Peter write this to them in this way, and then we find out what it meant then so that we can know what it means now. It can't mean now what it didn't mean then, right? Whatever the interpretation was then is the interpretation today. Now, application can be varied in everybody's life, but it is something that we all are to do. And also, today, as we look at the title of the sermon is A Woman Who Walks in the Submission of the Lord. Next week, it's a man who walks in the submission of the Lord in the same way as that verse says. And so our walk, if I could say this, our walk with the Lord is not based on superstition. It's not based on coping mechanisms or any kind of gyration or asking God to bless what we want to do. That's not what this message is about. In fact, Christianity isn't about that at all. And what I mean by that is oftentimes we, like Adam and Eve in the garden, we want to pick of the fruit that will give us real life knowledge of good and evil, the forbidden fruit, and then we want God to bless our life anyway. Because after all, the temptation to take that fruit was for me to be my own God and for me to rule my life. In fact, all the temptations follow, follow in that category. And so we reject that as Christians. And so we don't want God just to bless what I'm doing and what I want to do. We want to find out what God is blessing and get involved in that. And so we all are in different stages in our walk. You may, be here, you may hear something today for the very first time and you go, oh, I didn't know that. I need to become more like Jesus in this area of my life. 
Or it may be that you've heard these things for a long time, you just have never put them into practice. You have what's called a hardness of the heart in a particular area. You've done it one way, this way, all your life, and you ain't going to change. Ain't nobody going to make you change because it's the way you want to live. And if that's the case, I pity you. It's just wrong. Don't do that. But we all are in different areas of our walk, and we need to move forward. And let me say, he's speaking to the Christian marriage. So a Christian marriage is something very unique. It's where Jesus is the sinner, and the marriage is based off of the gospel, the death, the example of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, uh, I've been around marriages my whole life. I have. Okay, you, I thought it was funny. Anyway, I've been around marriages my whole life. My, my parents were married, by the way, and uh, I've been married for 37 years, right? 37, yeah, it's been, it's been really good. And you think, man, you don't look that old. Well, I married my second grade teacher. I'm not just... <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I will pay for that. No, I'm older than she is. Anyway, uh, so I, I realize that marriage has good times and bad times. Marriage is a struggle. But the more often I dedicate myself to live like Christ in this area, the better our marriage is. And I hope that's your commitment this morning as well. To really want to be here to make your marriage more like Jesus. You may be here and say, I've never been married. Well, this, this really does apply to you. Just like when Peter wrote to those Christians in this area, there were many who weren't married. There were many who had been abandoned or abused and left single. There were those that were widows or widowers. There were those that had been married for a long, long time. And it still applied to the church that he wrote to, just like this applies to us. There's always God's word, all scripture, is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction for no matter what situation you find yourself in. But the fact that this is a Christian marriage, I want to point out the fact that Christian marriage is very, very important by the virtue of what marriage means. Marriage is covenantal. It's not contractual. The world would want you to think that marriage is just a contract that you go into legally and you break legally. Marriage is a covenant. And we get this picture throughout the whole Old Testament. God is the one who established what covenants are all about, all about, and he based it on what marriage was all about. In the, in the giving of yourself 100% to where the two become one. Jesus has a covenantal marriage to the church. We are the bride of Christ, right? We are the one for whom Jesus loved and died and gave himself for. And Jesus speaks of us being in a covenant. And the covenant of marriage includes a couple of things. It definitely includes something where there's witnesses involved. It includes something where there is an officiant. It includes promises and pledges that are public and are met, and there's accountability to it. And there's also signs. When, when my wife and I got married 37 years ago, we, did we do the sand thing? We, we did the candle thing, right? Yeah, we did the candle thing, and we did the ring thing, but I lost my ring again, so sorry. Uh, it's just a reality. But we have these signs of the two becoming one, and the one candle's lit. So there's always some types of symbols involved. And the same thing with the Lord and the church. He has his bride, and there's an ongoing symbol, and that is the Lord's Supper. It is significant in your life, consistently significant. And tonight, by the way, we're taking the Lord's Supper as that symbol of the covenant of Christ's love for the church. And so it's good, it's good that you participate in that. 
But just to say marriage isn't anything but just a piece of paper is wrong. It's wrong. And if, if, you, don't, if you don't believe that, then you're missing out in the blessings of the meaning of marriage. And it's, it's very, very important. But in this passage, he starts off in talking to wives. And if you notice, there is six verses to the women in the context of submitting in marriage and only one verse with the men. Six times more verses dealing with a woman's relationship to her husband than it is the man. And why is that? Well, it's because of the condition they find themselves in. In the Roman Greco world, there were basically no rights for a woman, no rights whatsoever. There was something called the patria potestas, which meant the way that the government, the Roman government, which was based upon the 12 tablets of Rome, how they ruled domestically. And so the way the Roman government ruled the family was through the patriarch and only the patriarch. And so this patriarch gave an answer for his whole oikos or economics, his whole family, his children, whether they're, married, whether they're adult or not, and, and all of his workers, his servants. And so there was like one vote per household. So women couldn't vote, but also some of the older men couldn't vote either unless they had their own household. And so that's the way they structured. But actually, all this authority was given to the head of the house, and he was the oldest male. It usually was a grandfather. And he was the guy in charge of everything. In fact, he had legal rights, according to the 12 tablets, to even kill any of his children that he wanted to, for no reason and with no recourse. Now that very seldom ever happened, and I couldn't find any instance that it did happen, but it, that's how much authority this guy had. And so you're coming into a, a, a situation and a society to where women had no rights at all. And this passage of scripture, I need you to look at it this way. This passage of scripture is a spiritual and a social emancipation for womanhood. Until this time, they didn't even address women at all. And yet, Peter is writing to the church in this type of climate, ladies, let me tell you how to live. And it's kind of like, oh, he's talking to us in our church? He's talking to us? Yes, Peter is talking to us. And I'm sure their ears peaked and they were taking notes as someone was reading this text as they unscrolled the scroll and they began to read it. He's going, he's talking to us. He's highlighting us before he even talks to the men. He's talking to us. And so that set in motion, standing on the shoulders of Jesus Christ, of raising up the equality of women and by nurture the ontological unity of man and woman in unity. And that's what this passage does. And so he's speaking in that sense. It's, it's very, very interesting how he continues to move through this passage. So here's what he's saying to women. In the same way, what's that mean? Well, chapter 3 doesn't start in a vacuum. Peter reaches up, grabs the concept of submission from Jesus, that Jesus submitted himself to the governing authorities. He submitted himself to you and your judgment of sin on him. And in the same way, just like Jesus submits, so should Christians. And he starts with women first. In the same way as Jesus submits, you also are, and so here's what we see. We see three marks of a woman who walks in the submission of Jesus. And the first one is, her actions speak louder than words. A Christian woman's actions speak louder than words. It's something 
dear ladies, listen, there's something inside of you that can reverberate not only throughout your house, not only throughout what your kids do and your husband do and your friends do, but throughout time by what you cement in the heart of those around you. It's, it's, it's an incredible influence. And that's what leadership is, by the way. If you were to define it, it means influence. It's an incredible leadership tactic you have, an influence of this incredible way of influencing and changing things, not only by what you say, but particularly by what you don't say and how you live. And that's where he tees off. And so in this situation, he finds ladies that are in a predicament. So he's speaking to them, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the gospel, the message, they will hear, your, they will hear what you have to say without words. Even though they've heard the word of the gospel, you won't even need to use words to lead them to Christ. And so it tells us not only did they live in a, in a, in a very uh, doministic society to where they had no rights, but he's actually addressing a lady whose husband isn't even a Christian. Isn't that interesting? I mean, that's, that's double bad. So here you, you don't have a whole lot of rights. You got this dude that he has, or a grandpa who's calling all the shots, and you're a Christian, and you don't have any rights. What happens when you're in that situation? That is an incredible predicament to be in. I mean, if the man got saved, it'd be like, hey, we're all going to church. We're just going, and you're going to worship Jesus. That's just the way it is. But if the woman got saved, it's like, what do, how come I can't go to church on the Sabbath? How come I can't do that? And so here's what he's saying. Even if they don't believe, you have an incredible advantage and it's what wells up inside of you to change everyone around you. It's kind of a leadership out of intuition, if you will, or spiritual fruit that just comes. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not verbal, but it's louder than words. So this reality of this power that we have, he, he says that you are able to just speak and to change. But actually, the problem happens when we begin to speak in a negative way and we begin to be torturous with our mouths. Now, when it comes to the issue of what we say and what we don't say and how we live and how it points, I hope that you've come to the commitment that we, want, we all want our words and our actions to point to Jesus and not to anything else. Because your words and your actions are pointing somewhere. What, what you believe comes out in your life and everything you do in the way that you draw, in the way that you paint, in the way that you speak, in the way that you cook your food, in the way that you drive your cars, in the way that you dig a ditch, and all that you do, it represents, and all that you put your hands to, do all to the glory of God. And too often we find ourselves just doing all that we do to the glory of self, and I hope you've come to the conclusion that Jesus is the master, and he is the one to please, and you are not to please yourself. And so there is something very, very special about the Spirit of God that's inside of you and inside of me in order to change those around us. But what about this woman who possibly and probably is married to someone who doesn't know Christ? It might be that she's even thinking, you know what? I think I married the wrong person. I mean, I married this bozo. Has anybody here? Never mind. Um, <laughs> actually, it's pro the statistics are like 70 to 80% of the people at one time who are married at one time or another think that they probably or possibly have married the wrong person. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? 
You know, I remember I've done, I do some premarital counseling and I remember a young couple waiting in the lobby and they're very, very young. They looked like they were teenagers, but they weren't. They were of age. And, uh, and you know, they met playing Frisbee somewhere and, you know, six months later, they're, they're, they're just, they're ready. And they're coming in very, very nervous to talk to me and which I'm a real scary guy, I guess. Anyway, they're real nervous to come talk to me. And as you begin to unfold this thing, they're, you know, they're not able to answer very many questions at all. I mean, all they know is they're just Twitter-pated, you know? They're just gotta, they gotta, they're chemical. I mean, you know, you know when you're in love, and by the way, you just gotta go for it when you're in love, and they just couldn't answer any other questions, but we went through counseling and everything was great, and they got married. They did really, really well. They're still married, they're doing great. But here's the issue. A lot of people don't even go through a process. They just Google-eyed, married, honeymoon, and the next thing you know, they wake up the next morning, they go, who in the world are you? I mean, my goodness. I mean, when, when I was pursuing Chris, uh, I, I took showers often, you know, <laughs> probably more often than I do now, right? I, I use more flowery speech. I, I gave more gifts and I put my best foot forward. And then after we're married, you know what? I got a ring on it. So let's say it's just me and I don't need to. And we just kind of let ourselves go. Guys, guys, wake up, man. Come on. You're still in the game. Woo them. Cause, give them a reason, you know, chivalry, open doors, buy gifts. Flowers are cheap these days. I mean, come on, do something. And I've done went to meddling from preaching and I'll go back to preaching. Well, what happens if you think you married the wrong person? You know what Zig Ziglar says? Then if you think you married the wrong person, then treat that wrong person like the right person. And I bet they become the right person. You know that? Treat them like Prince Charming. Treat them like the queen. Treat them like they should, and it's amazing what happens. But let's, anyway, God tells us to, to love, and in this particular way, you show this submission not only to Christ by showing submission to your husband, so that your life will be a testimony of the gospel. Now, let me, let me say this. There are those that, uh, who, who could, in, could say that I'm unequally yoked, and Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 7. When he says that you may be unequally yoked, and you get the picture of a yoke, you know, a yoke in the old times would go around two oxen, and, and if one ox was stronger than the other, then he would pull the cart kind of in, towards an arc, and it wouldn't go well. So you would try to find the ox that are equally yoked. You got the same amount of, of ox power or horsepower in each yoke, and you go straight. And so he uses that analogy to say, if you're unequally yoked, meaning some person is really spiritual and some person is not, what do you do? And he says this very clearly. He says two things. He says, stay in it and keep presenting Jesus. And Peter is saying, you don't even have to use words. I mean, it doesn't mean don't ever share the gospel. It just means don't be nagging and badgering about it. Don't, don't go into his car and glue his radio station to K-Love and every, every lunch pill and every, all in his pockets in his laundry. You put all kinds of scriptures. It, it just means, listen, let your light so shine of the glory and the goodness of Jesus that you just stand out in these things. And that's what he's talking about. So you, you can stay faithful because it says that the, the marriage is sanctified. In other words, it's okay if you happen to have married, if you had happened to got saved and, and now your spouse is, is lost and, and it's okay. You can still drive the car. You can still go forward. And you need to be in that just continuation and then also submission. And that you have a chance of leading someone to Christ. Have you all heard of Lee Strobel? Lee Strobel, a famous writer, he wrote a book called Case of Christ, A Case for Easter. He's written all kinds of things. He's a brilliant Christian apologist. He was led to the Lord by his wife 
who became a Christian, here they're unequally yoked, and by the light in her soul, and by the way she submitted, and she had a not a rebellious heart, but a heart full of love, and literally he saw Jesus in her, and now he's a Christian. He was, he was uh, the editor in the Chicago Tribune for the legal department. Very, very brilliant man, and watching the love and submission from his wife, he says he came to know Christ. So literally, we are to... Uh, our actions are to speak louder than our words. Are you, are you the person that just tries to get things done by your words? Are you the kind of person that says, say, uh, uh, do what I say and not what I do? Or are you the kind of person that can back it up with character and you live it out day after day after day? And that's what the Lord wants to do. But also, not only are your actions louder than your words, but also this woman who follows in the submission of Christ her attitude is the prettiest part of her. her at, your attitude is your most beautiful feature. And that's what it says. Look at verse 3. Your beauty should not consist of the outward things, like elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold ornaments, or fine clothes. Instead, it should consist of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable to God. First of all, let me say, this is not a prohibition to wearing nice clothes. It's not a prohibition to fixing your hair any way you want. It's not a prohibition to wearing jewelry, it's not. It just says that is not what your true beauty should consist of. Doesn't mean you can't have that. It just means that's not where you gain your image and your pride and your honor, you get it from something much deeper. You know, when it comes to the outward appearance, we see in the Song of Solomon, uh, Solomon praised his, his bride-to-be and said, man, your hair is like a flock of goats. I mean, you're just so beautiful. Now, that, that may not jazz you, but man, when she heard that, she's like, oh, baby, keep talking. I mean, it was just something. You have a neck like a tower. You know, what? It's crazy. Your teeth are like volcanoes. I mean, this is weird stuff. And he just goes on and on and on. I made that part up, but you get the point. And so uh, at that point, it comes to where, you know, communication is only 10% vocabulary. The rest is the nonverbal. So you can almost say anything you want if you're all Google-eyed, right? That's what we learned from that. So, so, and also we know that the prodigal son, when he came back, the father said, put the best robe on and put the ring on his finger. There's nothing wrong with those things at all. In fact, isn't it interesting that 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago, when archaeologists discovered things, they discovered uh, women's hair dye. They even discovered wigs. In fact, uh, in the catacombs, you know what the catacombs are, right? That's when Christians who were sold out for Jesus, I mean, they lived and loved Jesus, sold out for Jesus, and they were running for them their lives, and they went and hid in the caves in the ground, and you know what they found in catacombs? Blonde wigs. Okay, you got the scene, right? Honey, we gotta go, they're coming with knives. All right, oh, hold on. <laughs> Grab my wig. And then goes. That's what happened. And these are the people who understand just the purity of what it meant to live like this. But it didn't mean, I mean, hey, if the barn needs painting, you paint it, right? That's what, that's what I always heard. That's just a reality. <laughs> Did I say that? There's nothing wrong with anything like that. Nothing wrong. 
But is that where your true identity comes from? Now, ladies, let me, let me just say. Uh, Careful. Thank you. <laughs> um, you're in an uphill battle with our society. And, and guys, we, we feel it too. You got to wear, you got to have, you got to look, you got to be. And in our society just thunders these things so loud and it creates all kinds of problems and we'll look at that in a minute. Um, your, your greatest beauty is internal. Do you believe that? Husbands, men, dads, it's your responsibility to make sure they hear that. They've got to hear that. My granddaughters, I love, I love them. You know, occasionally I say, hey, you're just the cutest little girl. But almost more often than not, I'm saying things like, man, you are one of the most patient girls I've ever seen. You are so kind. And, and I'll, bring up, I'll bring up and I'll admire those godly characteristics that they show. And those are the things that I affirm more than anything else. Yeah, I tell them they're pretty. They need to hear that from their granddad, their grandfather. They need to hear from their dad. Men, your daughters need to hear that from you. If they don't hear this from you, they're going to go try to hear it from someone else who doesn't really mean it, but just wants to use them. You are the one that instills these things that they cannot leave home without. They have to know about the incredible value of who they are as a person. And, and ma'am, if, if you left home and never got that, then get it right now from the Lord God Almighty. He has chosen you. He calls you into his priesthood of believers. He has made you a part of the body of Christ for whom he died and gave his all for you. And he values you. And all, and, and in fact, right here it says that God values this more than anything else. In God's eyes, he sees you as magnificent and beautiful and gorgeous because of, look at what he says, this gentle, quiet spirit. Now, what does that mean? Just this adorning in which God values more than anything else. Gentle, quiet spirit. In other words, you are the kind of person who doesn't try to control the room by your attitude or your mouth. You don't in a negative way. You don't. Now, as I said, I've been around marriages a long time. Uh, it's probably about 50-50 on does the, the mother have the more dominant personality or does the dad have the more dominant personality? I mean, I'm not talking about personality here. On a disc scale, you can be a lady that's a high D and still admire this gentle and quiet spirit, which means dominant. You can be a type A personality and still honor this gentle and quiet spirit. He's not talking about personality traits. It's talking about how you minister in a room. Do you demand, nag, and criticize, or do you literally, I was, my wife was telling me about a verse this week uh, about using in this message, and it's Proverbs 15.4. It's a verse she loves, and it says this, the tongue that heals is a tree of life. So remember in the garden, there's the tree of death and the tree of life, and the tree of life is just coming and eating and gaining life and growing, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. In other words, it crushes people. And Ben, you don't want to be the kind of guy that crushes people, and you can. Ladies, you don't want to be the kind of gal that crushes people, and you can, but don't. You and I, we're, ladies, you're to be, have a gentle and a quiet spirit. Uh, Scott sent me a, a definition of this word quiet. Really helpful. It's a person who knows how to calm herself 
and maintain a state of peace. And you got to do that for you before you can do it for the room, for the family. It's crazy. Uh, <clears throat> wives with a meek and quiet spirit are so strong in spirit that they are able to refrain from outbursts of anger and outbursts of negative emotions. Concerning the many opportunities, considering the many opportunities wives have to get shaken by the affairs of life, it is very commendable when a wife is so strong, when a woman is so strong, so consistent, so stable in the home that she consistently steadies the ship and helps keep the peace in every situation. Now that's leadership, if I've ever seen it. It's being that kind of person. And that's what we all want to be. But also, not only is it literally uh, having your, your, your life and your actions speak louder than your words and an attitude that is your, your most beautiful characteristic, but also who you admire is more biblical than it is secular. Who you admire. And he's telling the ladies, I want you to look at these examples that are paramount, that are godly, that are lovely. And he says this in verse 5, For in the past the holy women who hoped in God also beautified themselves in this way by submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Doesn't mean God. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a communication. It's a term of respect, endearing respect. You know, uh, actually, I talked to a clinical psychologist just a few minutes ago on this very subject, on what a man needs more than anything else. And, and I've read all the books. I know what they say. I know what the textbook is. A DNA baked into your whole soul. Men, what we need more than anything else generally is just respect. We, we thrive on it. Some of us go looking for it in a very wet, weird, crazy way with dominance or showing off or trying to get most of the toys, and we just want respect. And that's just, that's unhealthy ways of doing it. But basically, we are built and made. We have like a, like a crack in our, in our soul, in our armor, a hole that, that we just want respect. And ladies, the worst thing you can do to a man is to humiliate them. I mean, we don't even mind being outperformed. Just don't rub it in our face. Just don't. Or don't humiliate us, particularly in public. You talk about a knife in the back that guts us quickly to any, any of our peers, anyone else, to disrespect us in public is just, it's, it, I don't know, it turns us crazy. And the thing that a woman wants more than anything else, guys, listen to this. What a woman wants, we'll talk about this more next week, wants more than anything else. This is secular psychologists that say this. And the Bible has always, always said it for 2,000 years and longer. Women want unconditional love more than anything else. You love me just because of who I am. Not because of how I look, not because of what I can do, not because of where I've been. You just love me. And it's interesting, I just heard a testimony just a few minutes ago that in the midst of a, of a crisis, this couple that's been together for decades and decades who have kind of drifted apart in the midst of their need, how they willingly submitted to each other and God just rekindled this incredible passion and love all over again. See, this term submission, look at the very first verse in chapter three. This is very important to read and to look at. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Let me tell you what this doesn't say and it'll help clarify what we're talking about. It doesn't say, men, 
Make sure your wives are submissive. That is a disaster. And that actually has been preached for decades. Wives uh, or husbands, make sure your wives are in, in line. No, 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 no. It doesn't say that. It says wives, you take it upon yourself to be submissive. Men, you don't order, you don't, you don't demand, you don't seek. You, you, there's something coming for you and for me in verse 7, and it's not verse 1. We are not in charge of verse 1, we're in charge of verse 7. And so if there is a situation where there's a demanding of submission, there's a demanding of obedience and all this, it's crazy. That, it, it's just unscriptural. But when a woman in this most beautiful, incredible way, she looks to the women of the past and saw how they do it. You, you, in other words, you know what? You, you are looking to the Bible to, uh, to find your, your, your role models instead of the magazines when you're checking out the grocery store. You don't get your models from the world. You get your models from Scripture. And what Peter was saying, he said, look, why don't you be more like Sarah and quit trying to be more like Cleopatra? You know, when you start trying to act like Cleopatra, everything falls apart. But when you start trying to be like Sarah, who was a gorgeous woman, the king of Egypt wanted her desperately until he found out she was married. I mean, she was a gorgeous woman, but he's saying, look to her character by the way she submitted to her husband. And she was Beautiful, fantastic is what he's saying. So we are known more by who we admire. Let me, let me give a word of caution. And all around in every kind of media, it's bombarded in our face what the world's view of beauty is, and it is sickening. The average teenage girl, average teenage girl, looks at nine hours of media a day and only 10 minutes with the parents. Wow. And you know what's on all the social media. All kinds of perfectly lit, airbrushed models who in next year you know, you are, are unemployed, right? Because this passage says this is fleeting. This type of external beauty is leaving, but there's an internal, imperishable beauty that lasts. But we are glued to screens of how we should look, and it's devastating our culture. We are about to lose a culture to worldliness and losing this idea of godly beauty on the inside. I'm not saying don't try to be pretty. I'm saying don't base your beauty on that. Know what your internal beauty is and be very, very careful. Dads, intervene in this area. Moms, understand it for yourself and let's teach these little girls, these big young girls as they're growing, what true beauty is all about. Now, where does this come from? It comes from chapter two. All of this rests upon the fact, the fact that you are absolutely secure in Christ, that you know that you know that you know that you're born again, that you know what he did for you on the cross, and you're not out looking for love in all the wrong places. You're not out looking for affirmation in all these other ways. You know that you are absolutely secure, that you are completely whole in the gospel, and that he literally wants to resurrect inside of you a whole new self every single day as your mind is being renewed and you are growing in this. Ladies, I would, I would encourage you to really master this thought, master this mindset of your beauty being in Christ and how you can lead your family through who you are 
not how you look or how you sound, but who you are. If you were to evaluate right now, how do you see yourself? This is for all of us, men and women, boys and girls. How do you see yourself? Are you being more informed by the things of the world when you answer that question? Or are you being more informed by Scripture as you answer this question? Are you at peace with the Lord? Are you willing to follow Him at all costs? Here's the tough question. This actually is the line of demarcation. Are you so confident in who you are with the Lord that you're willing to submit? Is that how confident you are? It takes a strong soul to submit, as Jesus said. Is that who you are in the inside? Or do you just have to have the leg up so that you can have identity? You can be heard because you have the right. Or are you at peace of who, where you are in the Lord? Tough question for all of us. Let's answer it. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Glamina's Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.